covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in. We're very happy to uh, be able to come your way on a day that baseball has actually been played. No more just talking about hypotheticals. We now have actual baseball to talk about. We record the podcast on Sunday evenings, and on Sunday afternoon, the Brewers opened up their Cactus League schedule, knocking off the White Sox by a 7-2 score. Not that you take much from the actual performances in the game, but we can just sit here and say there's going to be a lot of baseball now to be played uh, between now and uh, the end of September and hopefully into October as well for the Brewers. Uh, Our housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast, as we always do. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and want to subscribe and leave a ranking and review, that would be absolutely awesome, and I would be uh, very appreciative if you would be able to do that. Our featured conversation this week is with uh, Matt Carroll. He is uh, one of the co-experts over at Reviewing the Brew, and he's going to be with us in uh, just a few moments. There's, at this point in spring, like, there, there's storylines, but I always feel like there's not there's not storylines of substance. Like it's 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 the uh, it's just setting you up for maybe storylines as spring training continues on. Like right now at third base, to me. It certainly seems like Travis Shaw is going to be given the first opportunity for that job. Now, he's got an early opt-out about midway through March. So they're going to have to kind of make a decision on him in the very early going to decide whether or not he's going to be at least on the big league roster. But it, it certainly feels like he's going to be given every opportunity to be the guy at third. But that whole left side of the infield right now is interesting. They're trying to give Luis Urias as much uh, opportunity at shortstop as possible. So Orlando Arcia is going over and playing a a little bit at third. Uh, Daniel Robertson is in the mix as well. It was when uh, when Craig Council was asked uh, earlier this week about – that, that whole situation, he made sure to mention Robertson when he was talking about everybody else that's uh, kind of in the mix, especially at shortstop. And uh, Robertson's a guy who's going to be able to play short, second, third, the, the corner outfield spots go all over. And that's the kind of guy that the Brewers absolutely do covet being able to have on the roster. So there's just a there's still a lot of moving parts. Uh, we learned this past week that the Brewers might be interested in uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Who knows what's going to happen, but that certainly does indicate that the Brewers still have some money to spend if an opportunity, whether it's via free agency or whether it's via a trade, it seems like they will be able to uh, find some money in there to uh, to make a move if they absolutely uh, do need to do so. So that's a, that's a good sign that that indication is there. Speaking of indications, all indications are that the Brewers will be able to have fans in the stands when the season gets started. Uh, We didn't talk about this a whole lot last week on the podcast, uh, but they had put together the uh, proposal that they submitted uh, to allow 
a certain percentage of fans into the ballpark right from the beginning, and you would think that as the year would go along and as more and more people were vaccinated and as cases hopefully continue to go down uh, across the state and across the country, that more and more folks would be able to get in. But it really feels like, and there's nothing official here, but it really feels like there's going to at least be some fans when the season gets started, and that is absolutely a good thing. Um, I also thought it was interesting this past week what Christian Yelich had to say about uh, what he did last season. And he knew there were some, obviously there were issues. He didn't play well, right? Uh, we know that. It really felt like he had a had a firm grasp on what went wrong last year, and he didn't really want to divulge what it what it related to. Now, was, there was a lot of speculation on social media about what he was maybe saying, and who knows? Uh, some people thought he was trying to point at issues within the organization or issues within the clubhouse. Others talked about maybe he was just specifically talking about uh, the issues of playing in empty stadiums. Whatever it might be, everybody tried to kind of read between the lines on what he had to say. Maybe at some point in time he'll give more of a more of an indication of what it was. But for me, I'm I'm comfortable that he's at least saying that he has a very good sense of what went wrong last year. Because if you have a sense of what went wrong, you can attack it. If you don't know what went wrong, you're just attacking different things, seeing if that's the thing that's going to uh, fix it. So uh, that is a good thing. And I look, I don't know if Christian Yelich is ever going to play at an MVP level again. It's really, really tough to do that. But I think it's safe to say that he's going to return to a very, 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 very good level of play, and uh, this is going to be uh, this is going to be fun to watch how that all plays out. Look, this is this maybe this podcast should be called entitled uh, the Bounce Back and Avoiding Regression Podcast. Matt Carroll and I are going to talk about that uh, a fair amount in our conversation that's coming up. That's when you when you prognosticate how good the Brewers can be this upcoming season. The high end prognostication is based upon bounce backs from some pretty notable players, starting with Christian Yelich, but all, but bounce backs from others as well. I don't know if you call Lorenzo Cain a bounce back, but he didn't play uh, to a certain extent. Keston Hira uh, needs a bounce back. Omar Devaez absolutely does need to have a bounce back. Avisael Garcia, to a certain extent, looking for a bounce back. And then also the avoiding uh, regression. Players like you know Orlando Arcia had a really nice offensive season last year. Can he sustain that this year? Uh, he's being challenged right now in spring training. Craig Counts talked about this past week that if there's one thing about Orlando Arcia that he absolutely loves in terms of his makeup is that he he embraces challenges. He embraces competition. So there's some challenges there, and there's some competition there, and that's what, where they're at. And if he can if he cannot regress. There's going to be regression somewhere. There's going to be progression somewhere. There's going to be guys who bounce back. There's going to be guys who don't bounce back. That's all part of a, a major league season and putting together a roster and just the the unexpected twists and turns that exist over a 162-game season. But I don't think anybody can argue with what I'm about to say. I'll repeat, the Brewers having their best possible season is very much tailored around a number of notable players bouncing back and avoiding too much regression. If they get that, I think it could be a pretty good season. Um, There's clearly the best of the best 
in the National League. You look at the Dodgers. Uh, you, you probably look at the Padres. Do you look at the Braves? The Braves could be in there. Um, and then there's that second tier. Do you put where do you put the Cardinals? I, I, you know, I don't even put the Cardinals. And I think the Cardinals are a good team. Like if I had to pick a team to win the division right now, it would probably be St. Louis, uh, especially after the uh, the Arnado acquisition. I, I feel like St. Louis and Milwaukee are one two in the division as it sits right now, whichever whichever direction it might. But I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between the two teams at this point either. Uh, it's hard for me to say whether or not you know when I'm trying to like established tiers of the hierarchy tiers in the National League. We all know the Dodgers are the best team in the National League. Who do we put pretty close to them? Probably the Padres, who they share a division with, and probably the Braves. You look at that National League East, and that's a for for as many bad teams as could be coming out of the National League Central. Like it's, it's really easy in the National League to see the teams that are just going to probably be really, really bad this year, right? Like The Colorado Rockies are going to be atrocious. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be atrocious. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be bad. I think the Reds are not going to be very good this year. Um, that Then that middle tier, that just, just a little bit better than bad kind of tier, it's like the Cubs <laughs> and, uh, and maybe like the Giants. Um, and then that next tier, which I think the Brewers would be in, probably also involves almost the entire National League East. For for as rough as maybe the National League Central is going to be this year, where you don't have any great teams, and you got two okay teams and one kind of okay team, um, that National League East is pretty good, top to bottom. The Braves, the Marlins, the Mets, the Phillies, the Nationals, they're all good teams. Um but again, it's this weird year where nobody was trying to to really not nobody, but so many teams were not seemingly actively trying to uh, to get better outside of the Padres, the Mets, kind of the Dodgers, but they were yeah, I mean they were they're the Dodgers. They they just spend money, anyways. Uh, so yeah, again, that's me in the very early going trying to handicap what's going on in the National League and it's uh it's a weird year. It's it's hard to do it anyways any year, but uh this year I think it is uh it's that much tougher. So where where do you put the the Brewers in that? I kind of if everything goes right, like what what is their ceiling this year? If everything goes right, if they get those bounce backs, if they avoid those regressions. Going back to where we were at before I went on my long tangent about the National League. Um are they kind of a second-tier National League team? Is that their stealing this year? Not quite the Dodgers, not quite the Padres, but right there with just about everybody else in the National League. I think that's – if that's their best, that's probably their best. And, again, that's that's dependent on a lot of things breaking for them. And we, we know that maybe other moves are to be made going back to what we were talking about earlier. All right, uh, enough of me talking. I'll, I'll continue to talk, but I'll get some help with that here in just a moment. Matt Carroll, co-expert over at uh, Reviewing the Brew. He joins us in just a moment here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to welcome back on the podcast 
He is a site co-expert at uh, reviewing the brew. That's part of the fan-sided network. You can follow him on Twitter at mkemat13. He is uh, Matt Carroll. Matt, always great to uh, talk to you. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, honored to be on on the day that we finally get our baseball back. Yeah, we're talking on Sunday night, and earlier today, the Brewers picked up a 7-2 win against the White Sox. What was probably most notable was the number of home runs uh, that were hit. Uh, The pitching was good enough. You really can't I'm a big believer. I mean, you can't take anything. You really can't take anything from probably the the first two weeks worth of spring training games. I mean, we we can try, but if nothing else is said, it's just nice to have baseball to actually talk about today. Yeah, I mean, we know it's all spring training. We know that everyone's working stuff out uh, from not just the Brewers players, but also the White Sox players. But man, did it feel good to see some of the guys who really struggled last year? You know, come up with some solid performances today from the Avi Garcias to the Omar Narvaez's and, you know, even Keston Hira uh, led the league or led the team, I should say, in homers last year. Um, but I think he would be first to admit that it wasn't quite up to his standard. So to see all those guys, you know, coming out strong was it was a great first step back towards Brewers baseball. So I just said you can't take anything from these first games. And, and I, I, <laughs> and I, be- I believe that. But the one thing that stuck out to me and some, you know, I guess if I were to amend that statement in the early going sometimes young players get more of an opportunity and then as spring rolls along those, those opportunities dry up a little bit so you you only have a, a limited exposure to some young guys and maybe you can put a little bit more into what they do just because the sample size is going to be so much smaller on them and, and I look at what Aaron Ashby did today uh, as he goes out and um, just three strikeouts and is, is one inning. I mean, this is a guy that a lot of people who are uh, real into the uh, the prospecting of, uh, of the Brewers' Miley system are excited about. And I think, you know, in one appearance only, we certainly saw something from him today. Yeah, man, that was one of the dirtiest pitchers we got to see today. He was throwing some stuff that uh, had the White Sox scratching their heads for sure. Um, he's a guy this year, you know, he, he hadn't pitched – higher than high A, but uh, last we saw, he was the team's minor league pitcher of the year. Um, But, you know, like everyone else, didn't have a minor league season to play last year. So, you know, a lot of us fans and the ones who do look at the prospects, we're really looking to see, you know, how are these guys going to look after a layoff? You know, some of them had alternate site work they got to put in. You know, some of them played in indie leagues. They all kept themselves going in their own ways. Um, But, not only is spring training giving us the chance to see how the big league team's going to do, but how are these young guys doing? And, oh, did Ashby, he he got uh, coronated by Pitching Ninja today, too. Yeah. So uh, he, he definitely had himself a day. He did. Uh, you, you mentioned Keston Hira, and... We, when Hira's bat was what it was at second base, it was always considered a plus bat at second. I think there's a there's question marks about if it's a plus bat at first. Is it important to you to see him hit a home run today? Is it important to see him maybe him take another step forward in terms of his power? Maybe turn into that thirty plus home run kind of guy who's going to consistently give you power now that he's going to be pretty much the everyday first baseman. You know, I think what I want to see from him, or why I want to see his offense look impressive to start the season here, is that maybe it alleviates some of the fears that 
his defense might weigh on him enough, or learning a new position, mm. I should say, might weigh on him to the point where, you know, it might affect him at the plate. That has happened to, you know, plenty of players in the past. And, you know, we don't know how this move from second to first is going to affect him. Um, the team was confident enough that he could potentially do it, that he was very briefly mentioned as a potential option for first base last year. So they have faith in him. He has faith in himself to be able to learn it. But seeing his offense not take a dip in production would definitely go a long way towards, you know, I think making fans feel a little bit better that the transition is going to work out uh, more smoothly for him. Yeah, it's a gr- it's a fantastic point by you, and it's a point that's been brought up on this podcast many times about guys who are really focusing on, on their defense and the impact that that can have offensively. I think Omar Narvaez last year is a great example. I think he mm-hmm. focused so much on, and to his credit, he became his defense was so much improved last year compared to who he was before. I think that's something that's lost that people don't give him enough credit for what he became from a defensive standpoint compared to what he was before he was a brewer but clearly his offensive numbers weren't there and I think there's a really good possibility that that's because of the focus he had defensively sometimes people kind of make fun of me a little bit because I bring up my my minor league experience on this podcast (laughs) on occasion but um, I can tell you that when I was working at AAA there'd be guys that I saw coming up who just raked at the AAA level, maybe they got to the big league level and the organization decided that, you know what, this guy's bat doesn't play at this position, but if he if he learns this position, his bat will play. So then they send him back to AAA to focus on that d- defensive position, and they, he was just they, they were just different guys. They, they looked completely different at the plate when they were spending so much time working on their defense. Matt, I think you're 100% correct in saying that for some, not all, but for some, when there's a ton of attention on what they're doing in the field, that can absolutely take away from what they're doing on an offensive standpoint. Yeah. I mean, you look at these guys, you know, they are human beings, too. It's easy to forget that sometimes we see these guys as these world class athletes and, you know, they must be just amazing at everything. But there's a huge mental aspect to the game, you know, baseball in particular, let alone when you're going through, you know, these big changes. And, you know, athletes a lot of times are creatures of habit and routine. And you now break up that routine and that can mess with the guy quite a bit. So, you know, props to Hira so far for, you know, looking good in that first game. Uh, No glitches to report so far. And, you know, we'll see how he does going forward. How do you view the left side of the infield right now? Because it feels like Orlando Arcia should be the everyday shortstop, but they're going to give time to, to Luis Urias over there at shortstop, and, and they've played Arcia at third a bit. Obviously, Travis Shaw is back in the mix, and it certainly feels like he's going to be given the first opportunity to be the guy at third. Daniel Robertson is somebody who's spoken about a lot, uh, mainly at third base. He, he, you know, Before the Shaw acquisition, I think he had a better than a puncher's chance of being the guy at third. Now that's a little bit diminished, but we're talking about Robertson being play a little bit of shortstop, being able to play a little bit of uh, corner outfield as well. But it's really a fluid situation when you look at three guys who can play short in Arcia, Urias, and Robertson, and then really four guys who can play at third with Shaw and the, the three guys that I just mentioned. And that's not even talking about some, you know, the the Lopeses and the Matthiases and, and, and individuals like that who certainly are going to have an opportunity to play there as well. Yeah, I think this is truly going to be best man 
wins the job. I mean, you've got like all those names that you mentioned, they're all going to be in the mix and they're all going to get an opportunity to uh, win that battle. Uh, Council has been on record already uh, within the last few days of saying that they want to see Urias at shortstop. Um, So he's going to get every opportunity to win that job, even though um, Orlando Arcia is the incumbent. I think, you know, a few weeks ago, going into this and seeing some of these, you know, no minor league option left players that the Brewers had picked up, it almost was starting to look like there were a couple guys, you know, like the Daniel Robertson, like the, you know, possibly Derek Fisher, McKinney in the outfield that you could almost pencil in to the, you know, active roster to start the season and that other players would potentially like your Tyrone Taylors or whomever might be starting off down in the minors. But then there was that, I guess to get a little off track, but it relates when that, when there was all of a sudden the talk about Jackie Bradley Jr. Mm -hmm. And are they going to try and acquire him and how are they going to make that outfield picture work? That almost guarantees then that you've got some of those veterans with no minor league options left that just plain aren't going to make the team. And so I think it's it would be foolish almost at this point to just assume some of those types of players are going to make it just because um, they don't have those options left. They're going to have to win spots on the team. And so when you look at the left side of the infield and a player you know like Robertson – He's not guaranteed. We know already Shaw's not guaranteed. I think a lot of us, for sentimental reasons, just because he's such a great guy, would love to see Shaw win out that uh, third base job, but it's definitely not guaranteed to him either. So um, I I have to imagine, really, it's going to be whoever comes out on top. Yeah, I do think that the Brewers... Look, there's going to be moves on the 40-man rot. If a Travis Shaw makes the club, and he's going to be given every opportunity to do so, and if he were to replicate his Toronto numbers with the Brewers this upcoming year, that would that would fit in okay. That looks a whole lot better than who he was his final season with the Brewers. So I, I just feel like he's going to be on the club when, when the season gets started. They're going to have to make moves on the 40-man, and I do feel like whether they do it during the off season where it seems like not so much this year's off season but in previous years off season where it feels like that 40th spot on the 40 man rotation is just a constant churn and sometimes it feels like they're claiming guys with the idea that if they have to DFA them there's at least a puncher shot that no other team's going to claim them and they can keep them in the organization and i have to think even this year that may even be more true with everything that's that that's going on when you DFA guys, when you got to option somebody off the 40-man roster, if they want to stay in the organization, it just feels like there's going to be that opportunity for those guys. And we know with the Brewers how liberal they have been in their usage of players uh, in the Stearns Council era. Just because you're not on the 40-man roster when the season gets started, I, I think more so with the Brewers than, more, than most organizations across baseball, that means almost nothing in terms of you not having a major league opportunity during the year. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I mean, I think if you look at so many of those free agents who still to this point haven't been signed yet, you know, there were there were some names that we talked about, you know, as potential corner infield options um, from your Michael Franco's to, you know, whoever else down the list um, who are still out there. And so if they're still out there, I think that speaks to your point even more that, you know, some of these fringe players do have a good chance of, you know, being DFA'd. But possibly staying with the organization if they end up um accepting so um yeah i I, like like you said it's the brewers roster is going to be 
as fluid as it normally is, especially those last few positions um, on the 40. You mentioned the Jackie Bradley Jr. thing, and look, I to me what stood out about that, like it's a, it's an interesting idea to, to kind of think about, but even more to me, and this goes along with their reported interest in, in Justin Turner, it feels like they've got money that they're willing to spend if there is a move to be made that is clearly going to make the team better. They've never been an organization that's just going to spend money to spend money, but under Mark Atanasio, they've always been an organization that's willing to push payroll when there is a clear opportunity to to make the team better. So what what that says to me is during the year, every it seems like most teams in baseball are still trying to shed payroll. And, and maybe that's going to back down a little bit as more and more teams are going to be given the opportunity to host fans. It certainly seems like the Brewers are going to be able to host fans from the beginning, and, and the numbers should go up as the year goes along. They put together uh, an, an expansive proposal to, uh, to, to the health folks that had to come look, and they were going to do the walkthrough and everything. And just all indications are that they'll be able to have some fans. Maybe that's going to give them the feeling that they can spend a little bit more money. But even if that money isn't spent in free agency, Matt, I just have this sense that let's say Travis Shaw doesn't work out or let's say something else doesn't work out or let's just say some situation presents itself where you can go acquire a player from another team that's clearly going to make your team better and what it's going to cost is you increasing payroll. When I see their interest in Turner, when I see their reported interest in Bradley, I say to myself, okay, this is a team that is still willing to spend some money. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's it's easy to just look back at last year and forget about the fact that Adonazio has always been willing to put money on the table when he feels the team is going to be competitive. And these days with the base of players that the Brewers have, they're going to be competitive more often than not. I mean, who's to say if last year is a normal 162-game season and there's not a global pandemic going on, that if the different direction that Stearns went in to assemble that roster didn't show that it was working, that they wouldn't have gone out and, you know, attempted to acquire someone to improve the team. Um, and then, like you said, just the way they've been acting this offseason, where all of a sudden these, you know, surprising names that at the beginning of the offseason, we never thought the Brewers were going to have a chance to go out and get, all of a sudden were being linked to them. And not just the Bradley Jr. and... Uh, Turner reports, but there was Jack Peterson at one point, Marcelo Zuna at one point, Eddie Rosario at one point. You know, those are guys that we thought going into this offseason that, you know, there was no chance they'd ever be going against some or going up for someone like that. We'd be sticking for those, you know, two to three million dollar a year contracts at best. So, yes, everything that they have done, everything they've been rumored to be looking at this offseason definitely makes it seem like Adonazio is prepared to make the Brewers competitive yet again, whatever it takes. I, again, me and the things that I get accused of, I get accused of being a homer for the team and, and carrying water simply because I'm part of coverage on the flagship, and, and that's fine. People can say whatever they want to say, but I am forever and ever and ever. Like I'm not, I'm not going to tell you it was a good offseason last year in terms of who they brought in from the outside. The moves did not work, and and I don't think we can that we don't we don't mince words over that. The moves really did not. Probably you know, David Phelps is probably your your best acquisition, and you were able to to trade him away in terms of what you actually got from a performance standpoint. So 
I understand that the moves didn't work, but I forever will believe whether this is ever going to be confirmed or not. I think that they were going low in free agency last year to preserve as much money as might be possible to get the Yelich deal done. And they got the Yelich deal done. So for me, that almost is a wash to everything else that happened last year. And then going into this year, the Yelich deal is set. Braun comes off the books. And if it wasn't a pandemic this year, I think they may have even been able to be even more active. And I would just expect them to be able to have, you know, as, as much money as they have spent in recent years. They're not going to go be the Dodgers. They're not going to be the Yankees. They're not going to be the Cubs when they choose to spend money. Uh, they're not going to be the Angels. They're not going to be what the Padres are doing right now. But in terms of what they have done in recent years and their willingness to spend, I think once the world gets back to normal, they're just going to be kind of that again, which is which should be good enough yep i mean again history shows that you know they will spend the money when it is smart to spend the money and hey you know i think it more like you said it more than pays off that you know we had a 2020 season that yeah maybe didn't quite go exactly how fans thought it would go but now we get several more years of christian yelich i i think i'll take that trade off too to be honest yeah, you should. Everybody should. If, if you don't, you, you've get your. I mean, yeah. Uh, he he doesn't even have to return to to MVP form, and I think he very easily could. But he doesn't even need to return to uh, to MVP form for that to uh, to obviously make sense. And he's by the way saying all the right things, and he's kind of being a little bit cryptic mm-hmm. about what went wrong last year. And to be honest, I, I'd. I'd love to know his internal thoughts on last year. I don't know if we're ever going to get him, but the fact that he is not really willing to talk about him and just wants to put last year in the past, that gives me almost this feeling that he he knows, he, he fully knows what, what went wrong, and he's ready to address that this year. Yeah. I, yeah, they were interesting comments, um, but he, he does seem to feel that, he does have a direction that he's going in now. I loved uh, hearing the fact that he, you know, went to Nashville, met with Haynes, the hitting coach, and tried to work on some things in the offseason. Those two seem to have a really uh, solid relationship, and it, I feel like I can remember several points, not just last year, but prior to that, where the two of them got together in a hitting cage, and then Yelich came out and just had a monster of a game. And so... Um, the fact that they were working together again to try and kind of fine-tune those things hopefully means really good things for him going forward. Yeah, and they, they have a long history together. I mean, when they, they were together, uh, what, I think, Class A, when, when Yelich was like 19, 20 years old, Class A, I believe. Um, I think Haynes was the manager there. Don't I have that right? Am I, am I remembering I, correctly? I believe so. Yeah. I can't think of the exact year, but I believe so. Yeah, so in the Marlins organization. They, so they've got a history and they've got a past together, and that can, be, uh, that can certainly be a good thing. All right, let's get you out of here on this. Uh, we've only had, what, a couple weeks of, of spring training. As we're talking, only one spring training game has been held. Uh, it's been uh, this entire conversation has been very positive about this team, and I think there are tons of reasons to be positive about this club. There's a lot more reasons to be happy about what's going on than I think uh, there were even a month ago. But what what still concerns you at, at, at this moment in time as spring training continues on and you're watching these games? What's the thing you're watching that you are most concerned about for this year? Oh gosh. Um... <laughs> I guess that's the longest pause between question and answer you've given me this whole time. Maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) 
I, you know, I guess it is, you know, two of the things we already touched on. It's that left side of the infield, you know, how is that roster going to settle in and how many bounce backs are we truly going to get out of the players who struggled last year? We're counting on a lot of guys to bounce back from, you know, again, we already talked about Narvaez and Hira and Garcia and Yelich, and we're hoping that Kane is coming back and, you know, he's one of those best shape of my life candidates for this spring training. Um, and he looked very good to start 2020 before he opted out. Um, but we're, you know, banking on the fact that he comes back too. That's five players yeah. that we're hoping on bounce backs from. And then also hoping that a player like Orlando Arcia doesn't regress to previous levels or that Daniel Vogelbach doesn't regress to how he was prior to our pickup of him. So that's just a lot of players to be counting on for that. I think today was a you know positive sign for a few of them, and hopefully they'll be able to continue that. And from everything we hear about, you know, approaches they took, some of these players took during the off season. Um, I think that's encouraging as well. But that's just a lot of players. So you know, we'll see who does and doesn't put it together. I don't think we need every single one of those players to all of a sudden look like, you know, an MVP for the Brewers to be successful, but we need a majority of them too. So we'll see how that works out. Yeah. And you wouldn't think all of them would be, if we're just being very honest about things, you would not. And um, there's going to be guys, you also have to make up for, there are going to be guys who don't repeat what they did last year. You mentioned the regression of maybe an Orlando Arcia. It could be anybody else. You also, while you're hoping for those bounce backs and a bunch of them, and last year they were hoping for some bounce backs too, and they didn't get them. So you're hoping for those bounce backs this year, and you are also hoping uh, that the bounce backs are enough that they can make up for any regression that you might have. Uh, I, Craig Council has said it before. Every year there's going to be a guy that kind of out of nowhere takes a big step forward, and every year there's going to be a guy who kind of out of nowhere takes a big step back. Now last year I think when you look specifically at – probably Yelich and, and, and Narvaez and, and Hira to a lesser extent. You can say they had multiple guys that took that unexpected step back, but it was also a really unexpected season in the way things went down. So now that's going to look more like a normal year. Is it the old, you know, unex- one unexpected guy stepping forward, one unexpected guy stepping back, and that's about it. It's it, it's questions that we will start to get answered, probably not even until the season actually gets started. Right. While the law of averages says that not every single one of those players will have, you know, the bounce back that we want them to, law of averages says that they also won't all look as bad as they did in 2020. Yep. So we'll see how that ends up evening out. Yeah, I think, I think they'll be better off when you take mm-hmm. the when you take all the expected bounce backs and maybe all the regression candidates and compare this upcoming year to what they did last year. I'm pretty confident in saying right now that the output is going to be overall better this year than last. Well, we can revisit yeah. that here in uh, seven, eight months, uh, but it's but true. I feel pretty good about making that statement right now. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Talk about uh, what's going on right now over at uh, Reviewing the Brew as you guys are uh, continuing to uh, kink, uh, crank out uh, content. I saw your pinned tweet mentioned the fact that uh, you recently hit your, your uh, personal 200th article uh, at the site and you're uh, not the only one putting together content. 
I did. Um, and then uh, David hits, uh, gosh, I think it was like his 500th or something, um, not too long before that. So um, he had hit a milestone as well. So um, we've got a bunch of uh, good contributors uh, pumping out a lot of good content. Um, we will have a prospect r- ranking piece that should be coming out in the next uh, day or two, um, some recaps on today's game, as well as just some further spring training analysis. So watch out for all of that. Now, are you doing your own prospect ranking at the site? Or are you uh, are you just evaluating using other people's rankings? What's your process there? Yes, we, uh, we are doing that. I'm actually working on that uh, myself right now, but uh, doing our own ranking piece for it. So um, uh, you'll get to see what uh, we've decided that we, how we want to order them. So it'll be a top 15 for us. What's that process like? How do you, how do you go about that? Um, you know, a little bit of kind of what you, you know, read about around, uh, the internet, kind of, uh, looking at what some of the reports were from instructionals and the alternate training sites. And so, you know, that starts getting you feeling a little bit better on some of these, you know, prospects who, you know, maybe now it's time to move them a little farther up the ladder. Um, and then just, you know, having kind of paid attention to, you know, some of the minor league games from 2019, which <laughs> makes it hard to base, yeah. you know, now we're looking back, you know, almost two years on some info from there. So it definitely makes it a little more difficult, but uh, kind of just throwing that all into a pot and then um, coming up with your order from there. He is Matt Carroll at MKE Matt 13 uh, on Twitter, reviewing the brew. Uh, make sure to check it out as uh, well. Uh, Matt, always appreciate you taking the time. We'll do this again real soon. Absolutely. Very much appreciate it. Matt Carroll joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Let's look ahead to the schedule this week, and we'll give you uh, the radio schedule as well. So uh, this year, a number of spring training games uh, airing on WTMJ Radio, but also a fair amount airing on 94.5 ESPN, WTMJ's uh, sister station. Many of these games also airing across the state on the Brewers Radio Network. Uh, so the schedule for this week, uh, Monday they're going to match up against the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's going to be a webcast game. Then Tuesday, March 2nd, when they take on the Oakland A's, that's going to be a game that's on uh, WTMJ. Wednesday, they'll match up against the Padres. That game's going to be on 94.5 ESPN. Thursday, March 4th, against the the, uh, Cleveland Indians. That game will be on WTMJ. Friday, March 5th, no radio for that game. That's a webcast game. And uh, Saturday, March 6th, will be on WTMJ after an off day on Sunday, March 7th. Back at it on Monday, March 8th against the Angels. And uh, that game, indeed, will be on uh, WTMJ. You can get the uh, full broadcast schedule at WTMJ.com. Again, my appreciation to uh, Matt Carroll for joining us here on the podcast. Look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.